Well, we have been looking at the book of Esther in the Old Testament for the last four weeks. This is week five. We'll wrap up the series next week. But so far, both the text and our sermons have been about these primary players in the drama of Esther. So like you just saw in the video, Esther is a story about a powerful king and uh, an unexpected young Jewish woman who becomes queen and works with her uh, relative Mordecai to thwart a plot by an evil man named Haman who wants to exterminate all the Jewish people in the Persian Empire. Um, and that's been the primary drama is around those, those major players. But there are other people who are affected by this story, both in the moment and then also throughout history. And so think about it like uh, if the Vikings are playing on a Sunday and, and they win or they lose. I mean, I don't, I don't know. They win or lose. And whatever they do, uh, it has effects like that same day, right? In garages and uh, basements and bars. And it has effect. People have emotional reactions to what happens to the Vikings. Like it lives out a little bit. And even throughout the week, it trickles out in workplaces and neighborhoods and schools and conversations around water coolers, like back when we used water coolers. Um, and, and it, right, it has effects on other people, but it's normally gone in a couple of days or a week. Um, but sometimes there are stories, good stories or bad stories, and those stories linger for a long time in a people's sort of collective imagination. Take, for instance, uh, a couple of weeks ago, my alma mater, Mississippi State University, won its first ever national title in any sport. It's true. One of the only, one of the only major colleges in the country that had never won a national title in any sport won the College World Series down in Omaha. Now, the thing about it is these guys won and really the drama was between a handful of college students on a baseball diamond in Nebraska. But it affected far more than just those kids on the field in Nebraska, right? They were the main players in the drama, but, but the ramifications of that win uh, will have, it's not an understatement to say, it will have an impact on generations of Mississippi State fans, right? They will tell the story, right? I've been saying, look, I graduated over 20 years ago. I'm not saying that they won a national title. What do I say? I, we won a national title, right? We did it. Finally, we did it, right? It's a good story. There were a handful of people that played out the drama, but it has effects on a whole bunch of people. It's a bigger story about who we are and what we're about, and, and we're drawn into that story. We're not just passive readers. Like, we have a part to play, and Esther becomes one of those stories for God's people that it's not just a passive story. It's a story about us. It's a story about what God has done for his people, and we experience God through his faithfulness to his people. God has done something, and it should matter. God has done something and it should make a difference. The same way that the outcome of a football game or a baseball game has effects on people's lives. It lives far beyond the drama on the field. Shouldn't we experience the outcome of what God has done for us far beyond just reading a story or hearing it in church? We should have experienced it in our schools and in our workplaces, in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in the hospitals, in the soccer fields. We are called to live out God's faithfulness, to cling to the story of what he's done for us, that it's our story and we find our place in it. So take the Jews 
in the story of Esther. Now, the Jewish people had a long history, an ancient story that God had done something powerful for them. If you go back and you read in the Exodus that God rescued them from Egyptian slavery, he takes them, he sets them up in the promised land, and he gives them a set of rules to live by. Now, it's easy for us to think that God gave them a set of rules because he wanted to see how high they could jump when he said jump, but that's not true. God gave them a set of rules because for generations they had lived in Egyptian slavery and they knew not how to live together in freedom. And so the rules, the regulations, the laws given in the Old Testament were meant to tell them, here's how you operate together in light of what I've done for you. It created a common life together for them. And the point of those Old Testament rules is to help them live together. But the, uh, the thing that happened is when God's people live with these peculiar certain ways of living, the rest of the world looked at them funny, right? As they lived out their peculiar habits and behaviors and practices that God gave them, the rest of the world thought it was a little weird. So take Haman, for instance. If we look at Esther in chapter 3 and I'm going to look a few different places in Scripture today. would encourage you, if you've not read the book of Esther, to pick up your Bible this week and read Esther. But in Esther 3, 8, here's what it says. Oh, if I can get there. Esther 3, 8. Haman said to King Ahasuerus, King Xerxes, there is a certain people scattered abroad and dispersed among the peoples in all the provinces of your kingdom of Persia. Their laws are different from those of every other people, and they do not keep the king's laws so that it is not to the king's profit to tolerate them. If it please the king, let it be decreed that they become destroyed. Pause there. That they become destroyed because they are different. Look, and we can easily imagine how people from different backgrounds often stick out, right? In many of our schools and workplaces, we've often seen people who move from another country. They have different practices and religious customs or cultural customs that they bring with them, and they, it, they stand out because they're not what we're used to. Or if you have somebody who's from a different part of this country, and they say words like y'all, They stand out, right? It's not what we're used to hearing. Now keep in mind, the Jewish people at this point in history have been removed from the promised land, from their homeland in Israel for generations. Generations of Jewish people have been born and lived and died and been born and lived and died and been born and lived all without ever living in the promised land. They were living in foreign rule in the Persian Empire, what's known as the diaspora, the dispersion of the Jewish people across the world. Can you imagine how difficult it would be to maintain your religious and cultural Jewish identity over generations while living in a land where you have no power, full of people who despise you for the way that you live. Full of people who despise you because of your religious beliefs and practices. The Jews would have faced a ton of internal and external pressure to give in. 
They would have faced a ton of pressure to lose their identity, to cast aside what God had done for them. The moment that it wasn't working for them anymore or they didn't quite feel like it, it would have been easy just to put it aside and to be like everyone else. Have you ever felt like just giving in to the peer pressure to do and say and be like everyone else expects you to do and say and be? You see, God's people are tempted every single day to throw in the towel, to wave the white flag, to give up, to walk away from God's faithfulness whenever it stops working for us, whenever it gets hard, whenever there's an easier way out. You see, the Jewish people in the midst of the Persian Empire would have been regularly tempted to go a path that was more convenient, safer, easier, efficient in their own power, And yet they continued to maintain their Jewishness. They continued to maintain their fidelity to what God had done for them. Not perfectly, but we see them in the midst of a Persian empire still wrestling with what it looked like to try and follow follow God's purpose for their lives. We see in Esther that God's people are to align themselves with what God has done in the midst of, of the empire. We experience God in our everyday lives when we are defined by what he's done for us rather than what we can do for ourselves. And then if you read the last few chapters of the book of Esther, you see something really fascinating. There's a reversal of fortune that happens. There's a plan in place to exterminate all of God's people. But it's not God's people who end, up, who end up in trouble. It's actually the enemies of God's people who find themselves in trouble. Now next week, if you come back, and I hope you do, next week I'm going to get a little bit into what happened with that part of the story. But I want you to see what chapter 8 says about the experience of the Jewish people. So Mordecai who is one of the main players in the story, with the authority of King Xerxes, he sends a decree out to all of Persia that says, if you try to mess with the Jews, they have the full authority of the king, not only to defend themselves, but to mess with you back. And so this decree goes out, and here's what Esther 8, 6 says. It says, the Jews had light and gladness and joy and honor. And in every province and in every city, in the Persian Empire, wherever the king's command and his edict reached, there was gladness and joy among the Jews, a feast and a holiday. And many from the peoples of the country declared themselves Jews, for fear of the Jews had fallen on them. Now, you might read this and you might think, well, of course they converted to Judaism. Their lives were under threat. And that might bear some weight. But what I want you to remember is this is a Jewish story about God's faithfulness to the Jewish people. Theologians Wells and Sumner say this, in a story whose background is the overwhelming pressure on Jews to lose their identity and faith and culture and become Persians, there is a window in which Persians long to become Jews. So if you're Jewish and you're reading this or you're hearing this story, it's a signal to you, don't give up hope. 
Don't give up hope. Hold on to your identity. God wins in the end. And if you don't want to miss it, keep clinging to what he's done for you. But here's the thing, like over generations of exile, over generations of exile, why would you keep clinging to your Jewishness unless you believe deep down that one day God would come through? Unless you had seen generations of your people try to do it on their own and fail. Unless you believed there was a better way and that better way was not through your own strength and it was not through the promises of the Persian or any other empire. You see, the Jewish people had been brought low. They understood their need for God, that they were helpless and at the mercy of whatever threat the world threw their way. And so when this story crops up, there's no question There's no question who did this. To call the Jewish people underdogs in this story would be an insult to any underdog out there. They were nothing. They were nobody. They didn't do this. Only God could have done this. One of the defining passages of the Old Testament is found in Deuteronomy 7, and it's a little long. I'm going to read it because it, it gives you a picture of how the Jewish people were to cling to their identity of what God had done for them. It says, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth, it was not because you were more in number. It was not because you were special than any any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. For you were the fewest of all people. You were the smallest, the least significant. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath he swore to his fathers, that the, your fathers, that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. This is who you are because of what he's done for you. This is who you are because of what he's done for you. This is who you are because God has done something for you. Do not forget it. Do not forget it. Do not forget it. Structure your lives in such a way that you never forget. This is who you are because of what he's done. In the New Testament, the early Christians are told the very same thing in 1 Peter chapter 2. Hear the echoes of Deuteronomy 7. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people but now you are God's people. Once you were nothing, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, once you were relying on your own strength, but now you have received mercy. This is who you are because of what he's done for you. You are a people who have received mercy. You see, the drama 2,000 years ago was Jesus on a Roman cross. The drama was between Jesus and Satan and the powers of sin and death. The drama was 2,000 years ago, but it's our story today. It's the story we live out. It's the story that gives us power. It's the story we cling to. God has done something to us. God has been faithful to us, and we are called to live in response to it. It's our story, 
And it changes everything. And rather than assimilate into the culture around us, we are called to align ourselves with what he's done for us, to align ourselves with his salvation. Is there some part of your life where Jesus is calling you to align yourself with him rather than just assimilate into the ways of the world? Where it might be easy to live just like everyone else. Where do you need to resist assimilation instead live and love for Jesus right where he has you what does this faithfulness for us look like faithfulness rather than assimilation this paraphrase of Ephesians 5 I thought was a beautiful description it says we Christ followers we are a people who walk in love just like Christ because it is a sweet perfume to God We are careful with our sexuality and money because these easily corrupt us. Are careful with our words and jokes. Diligently find out what pleases God. Avoid and expose the works of darkness. Use our time carefully here on earth, making the most of every opportunity. Do not get drunk but are filled with the Spirit. Sing to each other and make up songs that connect us to each other and God. Always give thanks to God for everything. The way we live matters. The way we live opens us up to God's faithfulness in our lives or it closes us down and makes us focus on only what we can do and what we can achieve and what we can control. If we live in obedience to what God has done for us, it opens us to see his faithfulness in our lives and in the world. It's not something we earn. It's something that he freely gives. Something he freely gives to us. But we experience it. It's for us because God's for us. It's like the water we swim in, his faithfulness. It's carrying us into the world and we live faithful lives of obedience to what he's done for us. But it starts, this is who you are because of what he's done. Like I said earlier, my alma mater uh, won its first national title. And, and I've, if I'm honest, I've thought about it way too much. <laughs> like I'm out on a dog walk and I'm just like, yeah, we're national titles. <laughs> national champions. Like, man. Way, way, way too interested, way too invested in this. Um, and what I was thinking about was, it's, it's fun to know that here, right? Like, it's fun to know in Minnesota that I went to a school in Mississippi that most of you have never even heard of, and uh, we won a national title. But it would be more significant if I were able to, like, celebrate with a bunch of, like, friends from college, or if I were able to celebrate with a bunch of Mississippi State fans. Like, I could experience that together with them. And, and don't you worry, I'm gonna, I'm gonna buy like all the t-shirts and sweatshirts and hats and I'm gonna get all the gear that says we're national champions because it might be the only time in my life. So, but we experience the good story together with each other. We experience it when we align ourselves with others who are experiencing it as well. And so the last thing I wanna leave you with is uh, we have been building this little um, monument out in the great room. There's a, little, there's a little table that we've been writing every week, responses to some question as a way of sort of building a monument to God's faithfulness at CPC. And so the question this week is, how have you experienced God through his people? 
Meaning, how, has, how have you experienced God's faithfulness by participation in something with God's people? With Bible studies, small group, prayer, missions, serving, um, a hospital visit, a, a memorial service. Where has God shown his faithfulness through his people in your own life? How have you experienced God through his people, right? Through people we live with who are trying together to follow Jesus into our everyday lives. I want to invite the band to come back up. They're going to, they're going to lead us in a closing song. And the first part of it will be just a chance for you to sit and contemplate and think about your answer to that question. How have you experienced the faithfulness of God through his people, right? Because we experience his faithfulness through his faithfulness to his people. We experience him in our everyday lives by aligning ourselves with the story of what he's done for us. Let's seek him. Let's align ourselves with Jesus. Let's give our lives to the one who gave his life for us.